From the Grand Reading Room in the Nashville Public Library, this is Just Conversations, Nashville Reads How to Be an Anti-Racist, presented by the Metro Human Relations Commission. Uh, well, my name is Erwin Venick, and I am joined today with one of two of my commi fellow commissioners on the Metro Human Relations Commission, uh, and we're going to be speaking about Chapter 3 of Ibram Kendi's book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, uh, which is titled Biology. Uh, by way of background, uh, I am an attorney. I've uh, been working primarily in the area of employment discrimination for years. Uh, I am a past president of the Temple Congregation Ohobai Shalom and a member of the National Jewish Social Justice Roundtable. So I'm going to turn to Miriam and have her introduce herself and then to Reverend Tucker and he can introduce himself. Hi, I'm Mary Mabel Fasley. I'm also, like Erwin said, on the Metro Human Relations Commission. I am a social impact consultant here in Nashville, born and raised, and uh, have worked primarily in international political and economic uh, development. My name is David Tucker, Jr. I pastor Beach Creek Baptist Church here in Nashville. I also serve on the Metro Human Relations Commission. Um, I have particular interest in uh, criminal justice reform and um, systemic racism as it intersects with criminal justice reform. So to be here to have this discussion about Kendi's book and this particular chapter is very interesting to me. So chapter four deals with a topic where it's entitled biology and uh, it has a different number of different components to it. Uh, it addresses the concept of microaggressions. Uh, it talks a lot about the slave trade uh, and the history of slave trade as it relates to racism. Uh, it also uh, uh, talks about the fact that there's no such thing as racial ancestry. There's cultural ancestry, but not racial ancestry. And I think most significantly, it has a wonderful vignette in it in which uh, a uh, elementary school, Ibram Kendi, uh, calls out uh, his teacher uh, for microaggressions towards a young uh, girl of color in, 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 his, in his classroom, uh, in the classroom that he's attending. And uh, I think it's a, uh, a, a precursor to uh, what Dr. Kendi says we are called upon to do as, as anti-racists. Uh, so to that extent, it offers an observation about uh, how one is to act in the world in order uh, to affect an anti-racist uh, result. Uh, let me talk turn to uh, Davey and maybe offer some of his observations and then Miriam uh, about the chapter and then we can go into uh, the more fuller discussion. Well, just following the way you set it up, Erwin, the uh, discussion around the microaggressions that uh, Kendi calls racial abuse, which I think is a better term, is something that uh, I'm very familiar with. Uh, even down to today of uh, being followed around stores or uh, being asked questions that uh, I think the answers are apparent to. Um, so in that regard, I, I think he makes a great point in when he ties it to our country's racial history, particularly when we look at the earlier 20th century with the rise of eugenics, that this idea has been embedded in our collective social psyche that there are some differences bi biologically uh, in different folk. 
And so to um, constantly have to deal with that, uh, and as I said earlier, particularly as it relates to criminal justice, I think that's part of the reason why uh, black, brown folk get treated so differently in the system is that their value is predetermined when they show up before that system. So to be able to create a way to talk about that can possibly help some of us who are not intentionally classing folk that way, but may subconsciously automatically give over to the social movement that exists within our society to just by default act that way. Yeah, I think something that stood out and, and uh, made me think from what Davey was saying is the idea that he was sort of rejecting the term microaggressions because it was almost, um, it almost trivialized what was really going on. And, by, and I think what Kendi's doing in general in this book is giving us pretty powerful words that go beyond what we've been saying to say, are you or are you not? You know, we're drawing a line. And this is not just a microaggression, this is racist abuse. And I, that I find helpful um, because it seems like in our, in our current history with the summer and everything that we're going through right now, we have ha we've got to make those decisions and we're, we're sort of asking of ourselves, are we or are we not? It's no longer, you know, this, he keeps making this thing about it's no longer murky. It's no longer, I see no color. It's no, are you or are you not anti-racist? Do you experience racist abuse or do you not? And it makes a lot of people uncomfortable for us to switch from microaggression, which is just a microaggression that has no racial you know, uh, connotation to it, to suddenly racist abuse. I mean, that's, level, that's up in the game. And I think that that is very valuable. It's, it's uncomfortable. It, asks, it begs the question, then what is the consequence of racist abuse? Well, you know, the whole book is about anti-racist policies. Well, wh what's the consequence of someone crossing the road when Davey walks down the street? What's the consequence of that teacher not, not uh, calling on that girl that was so eager to be called on in that chapter? For me, when you make these words, you make a call to action for consequences. And that, I think, is going to be the reckoning of all this. Um, in the, I feel like before, I mean, before the summer and before reading this, it was almost like you could say you were this or that, and there weren't, it didn't mean a lot, you know what I mean? It didn't have a consequence for you, and I feel like he's kind of leading us into that direction. Um, and so, you know, when I, when I read this, uh, and I made comment about this, you know, the notion that there's no such thing as racial ancestry, there's cultural ancestry, and, you know, that's something that I'm very, cognizant of as, as a Jewish a person of Jewish faith because there are Jews who are of all hues and all flavors and all colors uh, and yet we have anti-semitism uh, and people calling Jews a race which you know just just doesn't doesn't make any sense uh, and uh, you know how all that's tied back to the slave trade and the justification uh, for uh, making racial disparities I wonder what your thoughts are about that yeah, that actually, um, that was the other big, it's not a contradiction, but it's a big point of the chapter is we are uh, the same <laughs> and we are different. As in, we are the same biologically, you know, historically, everything, we are the same. There's no difference, but we cannot act like 
there's no difference in our political situation in this country. We cannot act like there is no racial inequity. There is. And I think that that is a, that is, that is a nuanced thing that, we, that he's trying to put forward. Like, I'm sorry, I cannot say that we are all the same uh, in terms of equity in this country. But I can say, biologically, we are all the same, you know? Um, I, I think that that's a really important distinction that must be clearly understood by our whole population, essentially. Those two things. You know, and it's interesting. Uh, seems like science came to that conclusion as we still fight to try to come to that conclusion. Uh, just using some of the ways in which science determines sameness, uh, we check off all those blocks and we've checked off all those blocks for decades upon decades scientifically, but there still exists this uh, collective social thought that there is a difference, that uh, race does create certain advantages and disadvantages. And because on the other hand, um, systemic racism is such a part of uh, American history, that becomes the reinforcer to this thought that has no scientific support. Um, even as you say, Erwin, uh, about your Jewish uh, ancestry or cultural history, um, the U.S. has only had two Catholic presidents, no Jewish, mm -hmm and no Muslim, mm -hmm. Not and yet. only one black. <laughs> right. You know, so when you think about that, how does that, that plays out all throughout uh, our society to where uh, I've shared with uh, some of my fellow Jewish colleagues and some of them have even been able to talk back in that they're able many times and they make the choice and I understand that they can present white. Mm -hmm. You know, and but I don't have that luxury, right? Uh, and I don't know. I don't know if I would want that button, because mm -hmm. if I had that button, I don't. I don't want the temptation. I probably, if I'm, uh, I probably there are times when I'm going to push it. You know, I show up at Wells Fargo for a mortgage. I'm probably going to push that button. Uh, I show up uh, in court. Eh, I'm gonna push that button. But I think until we collectively think around this idea of, as Kendi pushes us to say, I'm not a racist, it's to be a racist, but to take that next step to say, I am an anti-racist. I act and I live in a way that first, I acknowledge the existence of it, and I try to apply my agency toward anything that's antithetical to that. Sure. Well, you know, one of the things that I have found fascinating about this book is that it is a, uh, uh, a continual revelation of self-introspection. I mean, all, in every chapter, I mean, Kendi is going through and uh, analyzing various aspects of his life and determining you know, in which ways he is functioning as a racist. Uh, and yet we have an example in this, in, in this particular chapter of him as an elementary school student calling out a figure of authority and I just wonder, you know, how he uh, was able to develop the chutzpah 
to do that? Where did that come from? You know, when I read this, I had an incident. I was raised in Cheatham Housing Project over in North Nashville, and I attended school at Buena Vista Elementary School. I had a fifth grade English teacher named Miss Whitley, uh, who was a tall, very stern white lady. She literally uh, hit me in the face with a ruler. And I pushed her down. And my mother and everybody came to the school and I was gonna get expelled and all of that. And it was years later that I found out that what happened was I was not aware of the gross egregiousness of her act toward me. Because even with my mother, I was the, I had to say what I did not do. It, you know, it was almost in a sense that you could have done something that would have warranted being smacked in the face with a ruler. Well, the way they settled that, that I came to find out later was, uh, during that period, I got a C for the rest of the year, but I had to work in the cafeteria because they basically covered and they convinced my mother not to charge her with assault. And I never knew any of this. And, uh, but, but I can relate to the story that he talks about in that that was one of the most, what I remember most is not the sting so much of the ruler, but the fact that I was hit in front of all of my peers for, I don't even really remember the incident of what, so uh, uh, I have lived that and I've lived that in multiple ways. And as you said about uh, what was the chutzpah that he had, uh, I thought myself, cause it was, I just remember as the pain resonated on my face as I looked at her, I made the decision that you can't do that. Now, I, at that time, I didn't have the language for it. I could not tell you why, because it was totally inappropriate in, in all of my parents socializing. You know, you don't talk back to adults and you let alone, you definitely don't put your hands on an adult. But uh, she did that to me. And I still carry that with me today. The chutzpah. Um, I thought about my son when I read that chapter, mm -hmm. that section. Um, he's mixed race and, and presents black. And, and I thought, what do I want him to do if someone does this to him, you know, or to someone around him? Or, and how do I give him the chutzpah? Yeah. How do you prepare? How do you prepare yeah, young people? How do you I prepare mean, young people or older people to, uh, to call If all out? else fails, I want him to do that disruptive thing. Now, we will have to deal with what that is and, and you know, mark my words, see how that goes then, right? It's going to be hard as a parent, as I'm sure it was for your mother and everything, about this is not how I raised you to touch someone and whatever, you know. But, but in terms of his dignity, and that's what was at stake, right? It was your dignity. I mean, why did, why did you slap my face in front of all my friends? You know, dignity for something that didn't deserve that. So I, I would want him to stay whole because these things seem to 
break you apart. You know, when they happen to you, they start to unravel your personhood. And I think that's what he's talking about in this book is it starts young and it starts to break you apart and you need to stay whole as a human and and part of that breaking apart is how we perpetuate racism in this country systemic primarily for people to walk around and feel not whole and not worthy so this was an act of Davy saying I'm worthy of not being treated this way and as as well as for him to defend that girl um, and so I think it's about making sure that that dignity is there, you know, and how I treat him, how, you know, the people that love him treat him, and to let him know despite what's around, he determines that. You know, and I think that came out in the book. I think he talked a lot about, you know, his upbringing with his parents uh, and, uh, and what they uh, taught him to do and how they taught him to act. Uh, and uh, even though he goes through a a, quite a quite a trail in, 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 you know, throughout throughout the book. You know, certainly it is apparent that uh, his parents had a, a, a major impact on that. You know, and if you read the first one, Stamp from the Beginning, and now this, it's almost I can relate so much to his upbringing, in that my own followed a similar course that bordered on assimilation. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, meaning that you'll do better if you don't present so black. Now, th they didn't have the language, nor did they say it like that. And it was coming from a place of wanting to protect us, but um, uh, how you talk, how you dress, how you act, don't be too loud. Uh, all of these things were signals to say, get as white as you can, act as white as you can, and maybe you won't be subjected or you won't have to deal with your blackness in a way that I've had to. Mm -hmm. And so when, Kid, when, when Kendi so articulates the idea of assimilation actually being racist, because I'm required to give up my cultural history, which includes my language, which includes my dress, which includes my own mythology to give all that up and to accept one where I'm not even identifiable in that history or in that context. Uh, again, as Miriam was saying is, you border on living a life of nobodiness. Mm. You know, you, and, and so my parents helped me with, again, not having the language that what I call now living from affirmation and not for it. There's some things that I have to know about myself that I have to exert. Because uh, if not, when you show up, you get identified. Now, do you assume the assigned identity or do you exert your own? And so I was fortunate in the way of even being raised by a single mother that um, in her own way, as I've uh, become more woke over the years, uh, she was really on her game in sociology and even in personality development for me, that uh, you get to self-identify. But you gotta know that there's consequences to that too. You know, the response to my self-identification may be, I need you to lay down in the middle of the street on your face, please, with your hands behind your mm -hmm. back. Mm -hmm. 
And, and he says that, uh, his mother said the same thing. You can protest, but just know there's consequences to your protest. And that was it. And, and I think we live in a white country. We, that's just the bottom line, the beginning and the end of it. This is a white country, a white supremacist country. And so we choose to be ourselves, who we are, however that is, me with my stinky Iranian food and my strange name and whatever else you want to de determine from me in the 80s in Nashville. And all of us with our different identities, with a, with a dominant identity that is not ours. So when we exert and we be and we be loud, we, we, we are ready. And we've all, I'm sure every single one of us has faced what, what that looks like at different ages and at, at, at different times, especially in the South. And that's the reality. And these are tools, I guess, to help us get, get stronger and be able to do that with less pain, maybe. And I guess the, uh, the, the, the comparison or the statement that Kendi makes, not in his chapters, but elsewhere, is that what we're, what we're really searching for is uh, a country in which we have a true salad of uh, equal flavors and equal value, uh, uh, where uh, none uh, uh, is uh, controlling the other and none is uh, over trying to overcome the other. So I just wonder if you had any, you know. Well, we're headed toward minority majority. We are headed that way. 2040 in Nashville. Gen Z, apparently, according to Pew, is already minority majority. Um, so, I mean, the, the salad will, will be there. It's just how will we hold on, you know, who wants the dressing, who wants the dressing, who doesn't? Like, who's holding on to What's power that and how? Gonna, what yeah. that dressing is going to taste I, like? I used to think minority majority meant that we all start to have it to share power. I don't think that anymore. I think people will still, you know, people are still holding and gripping power, regardless of whether representation and numbers are changing. So that'll be interesting. Well, Davey, you want to take the last... Uh Close out here? Well, I guess even as I respond to what Miriam is saying, based on what you said, is that uh, there are places around the world, South Africa comes to mind, that shows you just how significant resources can mitigate mm -hmm. numbers. Sure. That right. one rich man is equal to X number of everyday citizens, far as political power, so to say, in that. Uh, even though whites may become the majority minority, there are steps being taken now to concretize this white dominance, even when they enter into that. The voter suppression, the overwhelming uh, filling of uh, the judicial branches with conservative judges, um, um, creating certain laws that, are, uh, that, that will require congressional uh, action to turn them down. Because so often when we're approaching folk around what's wrong, often the, the excuse and the reason is to tell the individual who, who presents with the complaint as though they don't understand that that's the law. So the idea of saying that it's the law suddenly means that I'm explaining to you why things are the way they are. Well, the comeback for that to me is everything legal ain't right. So as we confront this, even here in Nashville, we have to be intentional. That requires that we acknowledge, even in our best days, we've got these blind spots 
that even though we try our best that many times we're complicit with the status quo that continues to bifurcate people along these lines of race. Sure. And the challenge is to call it out and call out the behavior, to change the behavior, and to hopefully uh, having a, a better country and a better place for all of us to live. So I think uh, really appreciate spending the time with you uh, and really appreciate uh, the opportunity to uh, share Dr. Kendi's book. Just Conversations is presented by the Metro Nashville Human Relations Commission. Executive producers Sarah Imran, Mark Etherly, Barbara Gunlardi, and Bob Ferrissey. Directed by Cooper Smith and produced by Alex Bennett, Caroline Pace, and Cooper Smith. Special thanks to the Nashville Public Library, Jenna Schmidt, and Mark Crowder. For more information and more episodes, visit JustConversations.org. Follow us on Twitter at JustConversate, on Instagram at JustConversaciones, or on Facebook at JustConversate.